Now we'll have an opportunity. I'm so grateful to be able to sit here and talk with my sister, my colleague, this great woman of God, and go a bit deeper, again, in this wonderful book that she wrote where she said she made herself vulnerable in this book. And vulnerability, as we know, helps us to more deeply grasp empathy for one another. It helps us to be able to see one another, that Ubuntu that you were talking about. It takes us on a journey. So I thank you for your vulnerability. Your vulnerability is our strength. Thank you, Bishop. And our vulnerability is someone else's strength down the road. That's why we can't be afraid to tell our story. We can't be shamed into silence. You know, we can't be told, oh, don't, don't, don't talk about that. People will then perceive you as weak. No, the fear, the silence is the weakness. The strength is in the sharing and the vulnerability that others might find healing. So I was very intrigued by your sharing about you were seven years old, I believe, and the uh, Holy Communion was yeah. coming by. Yeah. And your mother, as you said, was your first pastor, you know, all of those things for you. And the deep theologian that she was said yeah. to you that this body means that God loves you. Mm-hmm. This cup means that God will never leave you. Yeah. Speak into that just a bit more, please. Oh, thank you for that. We're Presbyterian, you know, uh, I was a Baptitarian. Mom and dad were Baptists. <laughs> and so we're Baptitarian. We ended up in the Presbyterian church because it was around the corner and my aunt played the piano. I didn't have a theological understanding, but I did have a feeling understanding mm-hmm. that the Baptist church that we had gone to was like high-spirited and joyful and I wanted some of that. But I also had this feeling that I would now call grace, right? But I didn't know what it was. But I had the feeling that there was space for me as a child in this Presbyterian church, that we could dance downstairs in the basement, that we could read scripture, you know. Mm -hmm. We learned both gospel music and also Broadway songs. So that was the container. And in that space, when your parents thought you were ready for communion, you're ready for communion. All right. So mom and dad were like, she's ready. So I'm sitting on the pew, our pew, because it was that church, that small Amen. church. Amen. Our pew. Yes. And mo- sitting next to mom, dad was a deacon. He was serving. Um, the plates are gold with the red velvet. Yes. Everybody knows what, what kind <laughs> yes. that is. The cups are glass. They're little. When you're little, you like little things. Yes. The bread is that Hawaiian bread that we now put the dip in. Yes, ma'am. And it's all chopped up. So here comes the bread. My dad passes it. I'm not first on the edge of the pew, but when it gets to me, my mother whispers, Jack, she called me Jack, this bread means God loves you. And I was like, wow, okay, cool. And then the bread in my mouth, Bishop, was this explosion of that sticky, sweet honey. Mm, So there was this sensual experience of the love. Your mother's smell, Jurgen's lotion, right? 
Take us back. Some ultra scene. <laughs> yeah, with little Dixie Peach. Yes, ma'am. In your nose. Yes. Right? See, so the smell of your mom, her soft shoulder, and, that, and her voice, ear close mm-hmm. to her lips, and the bread sweet. And I am in love with God. I mean, I was so like Helen Keller learning how to yes. read that I thought, what? Oh, my goodness. This is so great. And quite quickly behind it comes the tray. And your fingers are just a little awkward. So I remember mom kind of helping me getting it loose, but she let me get it. And I got it. And she says, now this cup means God will never leave you. What? And it's Welch's grape juice to my delight. I didn't know what was going to be in that cup. Was it grape Kool-Aid? You know what I'm talking about. Be real. What is it? You know what I'm saying? Give me some. Y'all weren't trying to drink the wine. So I was like, is it Kool-Aid? No, it's grape juice. Whoa. So my mouth is puckery. My tongue is blue. And the bread is good enough. And I was in love. I, I, it was to me the beginning of my calling. Was this feeling of soft mother, serving father, loving God trio. Like they were the trio. Yes. Of love and in a container where we children were seen and loved yes. and valued and taught to read scripture, to memorize stuff for Easter and all that kind of stuff. Right. So that, that's, that's my theology that both went to seminary. Yes. Got an MDiv. Did well. You know, got right. from some awards and whatnot. So. Went so. got an MPhil PhD, all that in psych and religion. And that's when I come home to. I come home to that, yeah. not systematic theology, not, right. not anything, but God will always love you mm. and God will never leave you. So that kind of full-bodied, immersive, tactile, yes. awakening all the senses, experience of the divine yes. early in life, early in life, gave you, again, this, this robust experience of God, loving your seven-year-old self. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and carrying that. I want to juxtapose then mm-hmm. that, and I'm so glad you said that, that you took that understanding to seminary and that understanding comes back. I want to juxtapose that now against a 50-plus, 60-plus-year-old mm-hmm. postmenopausal. Right? I'm not talking about her. I'm just in, oh. in general. But it is me. That is me. <laughs> yeah. You know, body that, that has borne children and, and perhaps, you know, again, women of color, we know that, that, that fibroids are mm-hmm. so present in us. So mm-hmm. many have had hysterectomies, right? Breast cancer, perhaps all of that. Uh, juxtapose how you understood that, that God loved you in the totality of who you were over against what the world tries to tell us about beauty and acceptance and fitting in. And what is the facade that is supposed to be loved versus one that is supposed to be shamed? Mm, that's, that's a whole word. That mm. question is a whole word. I went on a journey, right? I went on a journey from a seven-year-old embodied, um, seen, known, loved, long-legged, skinny, you know, overbite, you know, (laughs) a lot of hair, 
nobody shame, right? Yes. None. Yes. Just this is what it is. To be honest, through uh, kind of getting my period very late, mm, okay. my little sister got hers. I was like, what is happening to me? <laughs> I grew like seven inches one summer. So my body went through a thing. Right. Um, kind of late to develop. Um, you know, the, the sexual abuse happened around nine. Okay. So that seven-year-old innocent, embodied, immersive, sensual love was went through some tests. Um, and to where by the time I'm 22 and I have that car accident and I yes. think this is about me, that would have, may have been my lowest body time okay. of just not understanding my own self, right. not understanding what sex is really about, really, right. not understanding if I can be so blunt, it should even have to really do it mm -hmm. or enjoy it, right. or if I have permission to. Right, because right. we know as females, often we're not given permission That's to nice. enjoy this gift that God has right. given us of intimacy. Unless you're going to make a baby, well. which I, by the way, couldn't, oh, right? Okay. A journey of infertility. My Lord. And so what, what, is, what is all this? Right. And that, I think, was a journey till, till I was about 45, really. And it kind of coincides with getting to New York and getting to Middle Church. Okay. And I, I think it's not a coincidence, really, but some kind of way of, like, doing the finish of the program, finish the, the PhD, da, da 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 get a new church in which the radical love and welcome of God is my job, that I think I turned on myself. Mm. Like, you too. You too. Mm -hmm. With your used to be flat chested, not anymore, so. <laughs> Um, with your used to not have curves and do. I did have a hysterectomy. That is my story. I did never have fibroids, and then I had them and had to get, couldn't be in the pulpit, so right. had to take care of all that. All that stuff, like right around 45, mm -hmm. and then, then there is this immersion into a culture, a church culture, uh, maybe even a New York culture of art and beauty and yes. multi all the things, and my activism took me to you know, to, to Albany and to D.C. and to Africa, like traveling in a way mm -hmm. that was different than being a younger person traveling, n noticing more knees, feet, arthritis, body issues yes. that I had to learn to love myself. Mm. In that Intazaki Shange, I found God in myself and I loved her fiercely. Yes. I found a partner at, the, at that age mm. that I wouldn't have found at a younger age. Right. I found joy in myself. I found joy in my girlfriends. I found joy in my loud laughter and my red lipstick and my red hats. <laughs> and I just accepted me. So that seven-year-old Jackie came back. Amen. This is what I'm trying to say. I regressed. I began to think about what it was like to have a grown-up relationship with a grown-up God. Mm. And I realized actually what I wanted was a grown-up relationship with my child God. Amen. Amen. A grown-up relationship with the, with, with, the, with the God I met as a child. Yes. Who is still there. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we could park, park right there. We could hover right there <laughs> yeah, right. for a minute. A grown-up relationship with a grown-up God. Because I, I love, you know, again, what you, you talked a bit about this. I call him Fabio Jesus, by yes. the way. Oh, right? my that's goodness. That's Fabio Jesus oh that goodness. you were describing, all right? <laughs> So this Fabio Jesus. So we either we either want to continue to worship the infant Jesus, right, 
or the Fabio. Yep. Jesus. The Fabio. But, but with but, the piece. Think, yes, yes. But I think we also want to then infantilize God. Yes, we do. Right? And, and, and keep God at, at that very basic place. And so, again, the notion that you talk about a fierce love. Yes. Right? And God is love. God is love. So, God is fierce. So, there, there we go. That's what I was about to hook up together. Yeah. God is fierce. And that God wants us to tell the truth in love. So one of your quotes, telling the truth is an act of love, hmm. an act of resistance, yes. an act of courage. Right. Its end is liberation, freedom, and if possible, reconciliation. But there can be no reconciliation without truth. So if we're not even too willing to live into this grown-up God and the truths of the things of God, talk about then how we all remain imprisoned. We all remain in this less than, you know, courageous, full-bodied self. Yeah. We're not fully who we're supposed to be. Mm. We're not fully who we're supposed to be until we get to fierce truth. Let's just, let's just modify the word truth with right. fierce because I think a lot of us think we're being very, very honest, yeah. right? Sometimes we're being mean, but mm. we're saying that's very, very honest. Right. Sometimes we're being um, condescending right. and patronizing. We think that's being very, very honest. But in fact, we fear the truth, right? That's right. The, the teaching about the truth will set us free. Um, there's, no, there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Right. That whole that that whole theological construct, I think, is real. Look, we're human. My background is psych and religion. That's my, what I studied. We're human. Developmentally, we are taught early first how to love, first how to be brave, first how to be courageous. I can do it. I can walk. I can toddle. And the whole room is like, go. Go, Jackie, you look at you walking, right? There's a lot <laughs> right. of love and affirmation. Right. While you're learning how to toddle, learning how to talk, learning how to be till you get to two. Mm. And you are not yet able to hear no. Like, you don't know is not, we've already given you a sense of omnipotence. Okay. I cried and the bottle came. Hot darn. <laughs> Woo! Right. I was wet and I dried myself. <laughs> This is what children get. Mm -hmm. And then when they get to testing boundaries, we put a lot of no in their lives. Right. And how we survive that is depends on what the environment's like, what the parents do. But all of us get a lot of no, a, right. lot, of, a lot of no, and a lot of fear. Mm. I'm going to say especially black families end up protecting our children from the yes. appropriately fear-filled world yes. with some fear. But I think that happens in lots of families. So now I'm afraid. And now I'm insecure. And now I don't really love myself. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to fight our way back to the God that loved you. Right. And we have to fight our way back to just as you are mm -hmm. your beloved. And it's a journey. Yeah. And that to me is the grown-up God. Mm -hmm. The grown-up God is the, the infantilized God is... Angels, devils, mm. right? The infantilized God is boogeyman, big white man in the sky. Do you know what I mean? I the do. polarities. Yes. The, 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 the concrete 
right? Mm -hmm. Level of uh, intellect would be yes, no, good, bad, angel, devil, boogeyman, angel, right? And that God is either good when he's in the mood Mm -hmm. to be good, right? Or he's not. And we, psychologists of religions, would say, of course God is real, but we're also creating God all the time. So we create the God of our experience. Because mommy might be nice, but she might withhold that Mm -hmm. if I'm not good. Daddy might be good, but when he gets home, he's going to spank me. Uh, Right? So we're building this God of our new experiences. And that God... Please don't get mad, y'all, but that God might have a temper tantrum right? and might flood the world. Mm. And when you're little, you hear that and you get to sing, Noah, he built him an ark. But also, God has a temper, didn't use a belt, used a storm. Right. Mom, you know, so the disciplining could be good, could be not good. You're not sure. Loves you sometimes. Right. Might let you have a car accident. Mm. Might let you not have a baby. Might, might let you be a slave. Might, might. We, we're creating that God. And that God is the God of some of our childhoods. Because right. our childhoods have that kind of violence in it. The grown-up God is the baby God who had no boundaries, mm-hmm. who brought the people together. Angels, shepherds, y'all, all y'all come. Right? The, that, that baby God who grew up to be a multicultural fully loving person Yes, in Jesus. That God is the one who's a grown-up with whom we can have a grown-up relationship. Amen. And who loves us as we are, again, understanding that God said to Christ, right, at at that moment, coming up out of that water, this is my my beloved beloved son. In whom I I am well pleased. Listen to him. Hadn't done a thing, hadn't earned a thing, hadn't healed anybody. Just got wet. it was just there and said, I love him. <laughs> yep. He is my beloved. Listen to mm. him. That's the, God That's the God of our salvation. It is. So I want to play off this motive. There's so many places that I, I want to go and we can go. You know, I want to hear about, I want to hear more about <coughs> this me. multicultural church. I want to hear about your multicultural family. Mm-hmm. I, 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 want, I want to hear about so many things, but I, I want to, I'm going to stick right here just one more time with this grown-up God. One of the things I lament that, I don't, that is not present enough in our congregations, in our, our talk of God, all of this theology, right, mm-hmm. is being able to ask God questions. Yeah. Being able to wrestle sometimes in our doubt. Right. In our anger. Right. Right? Absolutely. You know, uh, people say, you can't get angry with God. I say, why not? Why can't we? God can handle it. So you talk sometimes in the book about your questions, your doubts, you know, um, um, places where you went, you know, a mother, what did Mother Teresa call it? The dark night of the soul. Right. You didn't use that term, but you talk about, talk to us about how you and that grown up God could have that kind of relationship. Yeah. Look, Bishop, quite frankly. I almost lost my faith. I just did. I was 30, looking for love, looking for a place to call home, Mm. looking for a church to call home, trying to figure out who I was, depressed, 
working hard all the time as a young adult trying to get it together, running from my call. Yes. And I was like, why? Where are you? And honestly, you know, this is a story I tell in the book, that I was, was in a breakup and I was really depressed about it. And I felt like everything that had been explained to me about how good I was supposed to be, I had failed. And I found myself sitting in my bedroom taking a bunch of Tylenol. Mm, okay. And I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think I wanted to die, but okay. I was definitely thinking, I'm going to take these Tylenol and this mofo going to be really upset what I did to myself. Right, yes, yes. <laughs> and it's going to be a lesson for him. R- right, I'm going to teach him a lesson by hurting myself, <laughs> understood. <laughs> I'll show you right. what our, and so I'm taking this Tylenol and I have a little bit of a stomach ache because I'm like, that, that's kind of weird. And I called him and said, with my dramatic self, I just took this Tylenol and you know. And he's like, you did what? And my stomach gurgled one time and I was like, I got to go. Right. And I, I, I was having this feeling, my mother, my father are going to get a phone call because mm. my little black behind is on this floor in this bathroom right. having taken some Tylenol. Right. Oh, hell to the no. <laughs> so I called, <laughs> I was like, no. So I called the emergency room and I went to the doctor and I got my stomach pumped. And I asked for, I said, do you guys recommend therapists? Mm. And they were like, yeah. To introduce me to this guy and went to see his office a few days later. And the first thing he said to me is, why are you here? And I said, because I want to live. He said, why did you take the Tylenol? I said, because I was being dramatic. By the way, that's not all the time the case. So if people are acting suicidal, we should really pay attention to that. Right, amen. Thank you. But he said, okay, then let's talk about live. And that was the beginning of finding God in myself. Okay. And finding the Jackie that God loved already. Yes. And then also having the relationship where I could tell the therapist the stuff I needed to say about my parenting and the da-da-da, but also the stuff about God. And to pull them together, like the, the conversation that I wanted to have was having a real relationship with my parents. Yes. And a real relationship with my God. And the psychologist prescribed to me more home time. Mm. So I went home all the time ahead of my siblings to see my parents. And we built a new relationship. And then I think I went to seminary to build a new relationship with God. And I got what I prayed for, which is not a God. I I don't think God gives one dash garn about whether I curse or scream, or wear red lipstick or none, yeah. or pants or not. Right. You know how we grew up? I do. And you were Jezebel, you can't wear yellow. You can't, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, that she is too busy. They, he, all the ways we call God is too busy to worry about my outfits, mm. right? So I got a relationship that I needed to keep God. Because I wanted to keep God. Amen. And I couldn't keep angry, punitive, nefarious, if you didn't, right. don't no more God. I just right. couldn't keep that God. Right. The one I have, we kick it daily, and I feel quite loved by mm. God. Amen. Exactly as I am. Amen. Exactly, exactly. as she is. Amen. Exactly. Amen. Exactly. Amen. <laughs> 
I'm not saying God don't want me to do better. No, no, no. Understood. But, but I am fine. We, 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 needed, we needed to hear that. Right. We needed that because, again, that os, that mm-hmm. equal sign. Can't love neighbor right. if I don't love self. Right? That, that, that is an equation right. that we all need to come to grips with. And so you also talk in the book, again, about love and truth and that sometimes there are hard and difficult conversations that we need to have. So your father. (laughs) She's taking it to my father. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. I was intrigued and shared with um, the extended cabinet on one of our meetings how you and your father had to have an adult conversation. Um, and that, but the, and for you, that conversation was rooted in love, and as I interpret it, a multifaceted love, yes. enough love for yourself to speak up for the love that you had for another human being, right. enough love for the human being that you were in love with to demand respect, yeah. and enough love for your father, if I read it correctly, to try to help open his mind and eyes to something that, that he was not yet ready to receive. Talk to us about that kind of fierce love. Yeah. So I was afraid of my daddy. Mm. Mm-hmm. All of us. Yeah. Tiptoeing around and was afraid. And that organized my whole life to not get spankings or yelled at. Like, okay. I was super good. Yes. You know, E.T. says, be good. Yes. I was super good. <laughs> if you looked good up in the dictionary, I was right there, sparkling with some bows and being good. But it wasn't good enough, right? Dad could be in a bad mood and you weren't, it wasn't good enough. So he just always had a temper and he really, I think he did the parenting he got. Sure. Kind of sure. tough and so got that. But I, but as time went on, you know, you, you outgrow spankings and I probably only got two in my life because I was good, <laughs> but you also outgrow feeling like somebody can talk to you a certain kind of way. Yeah. So dad and I had two conflicts that I'm going to tell quickly. One was a time he was having a temper with my sister and I was like, hey, sir, that's not, that's not helpful. One year of college psychology. Mm, you know, right. if, if you're going to talk to her that way, she's going to be feeling some kind of way. He's like, girl, you need to be quiet. Mm. So we had a appropriate for him, yes. not for me, but appropriate for him conflict about me being sassy. Okay. And that went inside me at 18 as a something I would never do, as a way I didn't want us to be. And over time, Bishop, I would try to confront dad, try to care front dad to ask for things I needed differently right. to some success or not. But when I was 45, this all was happening around that time. I'm grown. I got a church. I paid for my own PhD and I got it. Amen. And he was being stanked to my John, who is now my husband, but absolutely just ridiculously stank, stank, stanky, stank, rude, mean. So much so that my my friend then left my graduation party. Right. So my dad just took a big old poop and dropped it on my party, just with his personality and his moods. And I was like, mm-mm. So when John left the party, I thought, okay, this is the day the Lord has made yes. for us to be rejoiced and be, <laughs> and be sassy in. Sassy in it, all right. <laughs> I just went there, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I did, wasn't loud because I didn't think I would survive that. But I said, Daddy, I, I really need to talk to you. He said, what? I said, Dad, my friend just left my house. Not yours, my house. Right. 
because you as my guest were so incredibly rude that I, you never let us be rude. Mm. What was happening for you? And I'll tell you, what, no, no. So I just basically said, that's not okay. And I love you. And I do love him mm-hmm. so much. Of course. I love you so much, Dad. But I promise you, we're 45 now. So there's not another moment in my life, not another moment in my life where you will treat me like a child, mm. like I'm not in charge of myself, like I don't have agency. I'm a grown woman who runs a church, who runs my life. And here's where we are today. Okay. Today, you either decide you want to be in a relationship with your grown daughter or you don't. And if you don't, I will be sad. But I promise you, we will not have this temper. We will not have this. Then the next time I see you will be when mommy asks me to your funeral. Right. And I meant that for my own love of my own self. Right. And I just wasn't going to do it anymore. And it was the beginning of my new dad relationship, Mm. which is full of love and tenderness and humor and respect. I am his spiritual guru. By the way, he loves him some John. (laughs) He, tell John I love him. What the? Tell John I love him. They They play pool. John refuses to play cards with my father. And John, daddy likes that about John? Because he'll say this. You know what? That John Jenka, he seems like he's quiet, but he don't take no mess. I tell you what, he don't take no mess from nobody. And he doesn't. And daddy really respects that. So we built a new relationship, like I built a new relationship with God, and I'm making a parallel there. Yes. I didn't want that relationship with the disease in it, with the fear in it, with the loathing in it, with the control in it. And now, my dad, I had... I was sick a few weeks. My dad called me every day to see how I was doing. He called me on Valentine's Day to tell me he loved me. Right. He called John on John's surgery. We all have a relationship built on fierce love. And in the fierce love, you tell the truth. Right. And daddy tells the truth too. He just got diagnosed with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Okay. Sorry. And to he's, that. me too. He's 88. Mm. He has survived my mother's death. He has a girlfriend. <laughs> His sugar. <laughs> and they do shack up some. Okay. Y'all don't write your bishop about that either. <laughs> <laughs> they do, they do, they do hang out <laughs> Amen. in each other's houses and they're too old to get married. She takes good care of him. Mm-hmm. And I am the oldest child. Okay. So I am the one who pushes him. I got him to the doctor for the diagnosis. Mm. But when I check on him and I say, Daddy, are you taking your medicine? And that's like four times I did that. And the fifth time, he said, I don't really want to take it. Mm. And because I love him fiercely, I had to let that go. Okay. Because he is still grown. Right. And he is still my father. Right. And I love him. I said, okay, Daddy, it sounds like you're making some decisions that the next time when I'm home, we should sit down and talk about it. And I'm the one who'll talk about it with, like, what is this going to look like then? But grown people having a fiercely loving, honest relationship is juicy and joy. And laughter and play. And also tears and heartbreak. Right. But it is not cocky. Mm -hmm. It's not that. Right. It's not fake. 
It's real. It's sincere. And I would not trade it. Mm-hmm. And we would not have it right. were it not for that conflict. Now, was it because you were in an interracial relationship that you think your father was not accepting of oh, John yeah. in the Oh, beginning? he was like this white boy. <laughs> he was like, son. And when we, con- when we confronted him on it, you know, the, the first, like, you know, that we had that makeup. And then, you know, he, he and John get to be friends. And Don, I wrote this Dr. Martin Luther King study, and Daddy read it. And inside the Dr. Martin Luther King study, I told this story yes. of him. And John, you know, he's like, read it. So we're reading the book together. And I got to, and though John was white and dad didn't like him at first, they're best friends now. And dad went, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not because he was white. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's because he looked like that man down south. What color was the man down south? White? <laughs> I just don't want you to mischaracterize it. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So he did not want it to be on record. Right. That he didn't have like John because he was white. But what's on record in this book is how much Dad and John yes. found their way yes. to a real relationship. And you helped facilitate that. Right. Because you spoke the truth yes. in Love. Absolutely. And I think part of our inability to sit down and have reconciliation around race, around what's happened in this country, part of why books are being taken out of school and, and, and we have that kind of censorship going on is because we won't speak the truth. Absolutely. to one another in love. And therefore, reconciliation is and will always be elusive. Right. So you helped through your speaking boldly, taking up your space and speaking boldly to your father, setting that boundary about what needed to happen. You helped facilitate that kind of conversation. Talk to us about how we need to do that in the church mm. so that we might then help lead the world. Because if we can't do it in here, we can't do it. How do we expect the world to be able to? And right now, again, you said keep it in our context. In America, we are on fire. We are on fire. We are on fire right now around this issue. That's right. I would say three three high level things that are about that. Like if you're going to exegete that story, Mm -hmm. I would say one, I advocated right for kind treatment. Okay. It, It could feel like I was like. Just be kind to him, Daddy. And you weren't. Right. That's what you taught us. That's what. You, so what I'm saying is that I advocated for love. Yes. I advocated not for them to go on dates and have hang out and go fishing. Right. But I advocated for the kind of love that is the honor and respect of just another human being. Ubuntu. Right. Ubuntu. I advocated for Ubuntu. Two. My dad was willing yeah. to stay engaged. Right. Right. To stay engaged. That's the part he played. My younger dad wouldn't have stayed engaged. Mm. We would still not be talking. Okay. But I'm 45, and that means he was, you know, 62. He was ready to stay engaged because neither of us wanted to lose each other. So that's something about staying at the table, which is what you would say, Bishop. But the third piece of that, and this is really mission critical, is my husband, Mm. the white Methodist. Yes, Methodist. We're in a mixed marriage, okay, because I'm a (laughs) Christian. I'm a Presbyterian and he's a Methodist. And we got all kind of stuff with that, right? <laughs> um, different polity. 
Mm -hmm. um, but he, the white United Methodist minister who has been a minister since he's 18, who has worked in Appalachia, who is my partner in anti-racism, that's how we met, okay. took his white self to see my father after we got married. Okay. <coughs> Humbled himself. Amen. Took him a bottle of rum. All right. Took my mother some flowers. Said, I'm always going to love your daughter. Mm. And I want to be your friend. And they sat in the backyard while my mother and I cooked right. and had their first date yes. that they did have, mm -hmm. where dad talked to John about why he was upset. Yes. What happened to him right. in Mississippi. Right. And John didn't act like he didn't know what the deal was, but mm -hmm. also acted like he was curious about my father's story because he was. Yes. And they began to tell stories and they found out that they have the same father. Mm. the same kind of father, exactly. the same kind of dynamic with their fathers. And it built a bond between them. Right. And then they found out that they both like jazz. And then they found out that they both like fishing. So John didn't do, right. he did, right. how do we make this work? Right. That has to happen. And white people have a particular job to do in this racial ethnic dynamic, mm -hmm. where even though, like, we could say, I didn't do slavery. Right. We could say, I don't know reparations. We could say, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't there. Or we could say, like John did, I understand the wounding that my people have done to your people. And that's a different context. So both caring enough, your father and your beloved, caring enough to stay engaged yes. and to begin to have the conversation. That's all we need is for persons to care enough to stay at the table and have the conversation. Yeah. Because once we have the conversation and see beyond all of our preconceived notions, see beyond all of some of the myth that we've been taught, see beyond some of the lies th th that are a part of, of the story and get to know each other, we'll find those similarities and those commonalities. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. And I think if daddy were here, he'd say also, John came to him in love. Yeah. And dad would say, he says, and I wrote in the book, John cured him yes. of his prejudice. Say that. Yes, it does. And, yes. and, and what he's saying is he was prejudiced. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? Yes. So this black man from Mississippi has a right to, to be wounded, mm -hmm. to have, he experienced terrible things right. in apartheid Mississippi. Yes. But he also didn't want to stay Right? Yes, that, like, so the people of color piece is also, do we want to be made well? Do we want to be made whole? Do we want to be made well? Right? And whole. And do we? And can we acknowledge that if we just stay also in, I'm just so angry and I'm just so wounded right. that I might not be well? I'm not saying that I marry white people or be best friends with white people. I'm not saying right. any of that. Right. I'm saying the transaction among us humans around race yes. is going to kill us. Right. That's right. Our souls. Do we want to heal the world? Right. As people of faith, 
then there's something for each of us to do. It happened a few moments ago, but it's happening again. Now, you're reminding me so much of my mother. You talked about your, your father saying, well, it wasn't that John was white. It was that John reminded me of that white person. So my mother is from, grew up in Sylvania, Georgia. Oh, my goodness. Apartheid okay, Georgia. Apartheid okay. Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I recall one time being, she was coming, she had come to visit. And uh, I had the cooking channel on. And Paula Dean started talking. <laughs> My mother was in another part of the house. Uh-oh. She came out into the hallway and said, who is that? Oh, wow. And I mean, I, just her posture, her place, her, her voice, I thought, what is good? She said, who is that? Because that voice, she didn't know who Paula Dean was. And when I told her it was Paula Dean, she still didn't know. She didn't know who Paula Dean was, but that voice. She heard that voice. Mm-hmm. That voice took her back yes. to lynch mobs yep. in Sylvania, Georgia. Right. That voice took her back to, you know, white and black water fountains. That voice took her back to segregated schools. Yes. Okay, just hearing that voice. Yep. And she was the same woman who, in raising us, told us, you cannot hate. Mm-hmm. Yep. You cannot hate, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, so yes, there's woundedness. Yeah. Yes, we need to be able to admit that. Yes, we do not have to be um, ignorant of, of or in denial mm-hmm. of the past. And, and and there is a responsibility on both sides I to say, so. and we can have the conversation. I think so. I think so. I think that's what it is, Bishop. And I think there's all kinds of strategies and tactics we need about this race, right? Yes. Like I'm in a multi-ethnic, multi-racial church. Yes. And our theology is, is uh, biographical. So I am pretty sure that my Air Force base raising, which is a whole kind of white with two black people world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> plus yes. my parents' Mississippi raising, which was blackity black, black. Yes. You know, that they merged together for me to be the multi-ethnic girl. Like yes. I am the black girl who also is multi-ethnic, right? right? I am not mixed race, I am black. And I have a border personality, mm, right? Border personality. Border, not right. borderline. Right. Border. <laughs> get, it, get it clear, don't get it twisted. But a, a, a border personality. Yes. And, and lots of us do, and most of the African-American people in the United Methodist Church denomination do, because you couldn't survive in a denomination that... That's right. right. That's right. So there's something about curating and cultivating our border personality. Okay. What W. B. Du Bois called double consciousness. Consciousness. Right? That's right. Which, which Virgilio Elizondo, I can't talk. Virgilio Elizondo would call a mestizaje, mm. mixed. Right. We curate on purpose the border. Yes. I don't lose being black by being John's wife. Yes. Poor baby. That's and and poor middle church. Every Sunday. No. The so what got They're something blessing. to do They're blessing. with race. With race. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like the white people that go past the white church to come to middle church are going to get some race talk every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Some, some little bit, because that's mm-hmm. what we're working on, right? So that's on the border. They're on the border with me, right? John and I are on the border. We wash dishes. We talk about race. Okay. You, you were loud in the room. What's that? You know, we just, it's always in the room. Because yes. it's always in the room. Yes, it is. What... I think has to also happen is there also have to be safe places 
for caucusing. Mm. And that might surprise people that I would say that. Okay. Right? Okay. But I'm in the multiracial, multiethnic, multicultural church. Mm -hmm. I'm called to it and I want to do it. But if the black women might need to go to tea. Okay. Okay. That's what I'm saying. And the queer black men needed a group. All right. Right. And Ablamos, my Latinx people, wanted a group. And when I first got to middle, my boss then, the pastor, did not want anyone to caucus. Okay. Did not want separateness. Okay. But I think sometimes, in a womanist way, you need separation for recovery. Okay. So when I hang out with my black girlfriends, that that is a juicy feed for my soul. Right. Right? And when I'm with my siblings, you know, what we do with the music. And I'm just saying everything isn't always going to be perfectly multi-ethnic and multiracial. All right. But I think it's our goal. Yes. And I think on the way to it, we have way stations of Korean churches and white churches, and the white church needs to make a goal of becoming the multi-ethnic future yes. because it has the power. Yes. I wanted to say all of that so I could get to that. Amen. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate that. And you've given me something. I'm, I'm gonna, Because I wrestle with, I understand the need to caucus. <laughs> Sometimes I think we remain in the caucus. Yes, we do. Yes, right? we, do. we remain in the caucus. That's not a caucus. We don't come. That's a silo. There we go. <laughs> there we go. There we go. There we go. See, we working that out. We working that That's out. That's a silo. It's all right to caucus, but, <laughs> but it's not all right to silo. Come but you out come from amongst come that out. caucus. And get back with the group. Get back. That's right. Get back into the beloved community. Amen. That's and, right. And, 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 and struggling and wrestling. And I'm sure Middle Church has its struggles oh, and its wrestling, yes, right? As you but are. But it's fun. It's yeah. fun to wrestle. And we're there for a reason. We've grown because of who we are. We're not growing because we're in silos. Right. People want the dream of coming to the beloved community mm. where the music is diverse and the people yes. are diverse. And you get to learn from people that are different from you is why people come. Right. But, of course, it is different. And it is sometimes has conflict mm-hmm. because we're not the same. Right. But we are all God's cheerings trying to get to the promised land. Did you hear that, Mary? Cheerings. We um, say that word all the time. Cheering. We're cheering. cheering. We're cheering to God trying to get trying somewhere. To get to oh my gosh, we are we are so over time. How, how, how but over but time I, I <laughs> no, but I have to do one more thing, Christy, before we go to taking questions. You have so often throughout the discussion earlier and even sitting here now, you have blessed us with names that are hard to pronounce, <laughs> right? Because you are weaving into this conversation other voices. Again, I want to go back to this grown-up God Hmm. that created all of us in the Imago Dei, Mm -hmm. right? All of us, which means all of us represent God. All of us have something to speak of in terms of of, of who God is to us and whatnot. Talk to us about why it's important to have different voices in the conversation, not just, and this is a phrase that's used in seminary all the time. I'm not just saying, okay, your bishop's not being racist when she says it. Not just the voices of dead white men right. teaching us theology. That's Why right. is that important? It's so important because if each of us is created in God's image, then it is the multiplicity of ourselves that show us fully who God is. Right. I see a little God in you. I see a little God in Lydia. I see a little God in our lunch table. Right. There is a way in which we won't fully know. who. It's like looking at an elephant. Right. If everything is over here, then you think it's a tail. Right. If everything is over here, you think it's a a trunk. The Indian uh, Indian theologians talk about elephant theology. That's right. So this idea of to see the whole of God is to have 
a kaleidoscope of perspectives, speaking Mujerista, speaking, yes. speaking Korean, yes. speaking Black liberation, speaking yes. based community Catholic, speaking right. womanist, speaking feminist, speaking agnostic. Yes. What do the doubters teach us? Yes. Right? Speaking Islam and teaching Buddhist. Yes. Like, what do these Eastern theologies, philosophies have to round out our life. Speaking Toni Morrison, speaking John Coltrane. Yes. You know, speaking yeah, 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 yeah. the Beatles. You know, where oh, is our theology being lived in the world that reminds us that everybody's a theologian? Yes. Anybody thinking and talking about God is a theologian. If we stay at the tail, we don't know all of this beautiful diversity that is God. Amen. Amen. So let us be curious. And let us not just read the authors that look like us or think like us. Let us be challenged by the multiplicity of voices that are there for us to stretch, to grow, to maybe get angry with. And again, not run from that, but to sit there and go, why am I angry? What does this moment have to teach me? Amen. I could talk to you all day long. Let's do it again. Yeah, we, we, we need to. We need to. So this is going to become part of um, a podcast that I've been doing called Thursdays at the Table. Ooh. And one of the things that I, uh, that's about, it's about who, it, I want to have conversations that I would have sitting down at a coffee table or a breakfast table, Ooh, right? Good. And so one of the questions that I, I start the podcast with is coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Amen. Amen. Uh, straight up or decaf? Straight up. Amen. 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 Little cream and sugar? Cream and sugar. All right, there we go. She's talking my language. She's talking my language. And I also often then read something from the cup. I try to use different cups that have different sayings on them. And this just so happens to be from the Annapolis district. I just want you all to know that. <laughs> and it says, I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, so also must you love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. And that's what Reverend Dr. Jackie is teaching us how to do, Woo! is how to love each other. <laughs>